Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. All right, folks, now this is a long passage this morning, but we're not going to actually try to go through all of it in detail, so don't freak out. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. So we're going to take a look this morning. We're going to look here at Romans chapter 11. We're going to go verses 1 through 24, and we're going to focus mainly on the first part of that passage. It's an important passage. We're going to look at this idea of how we're all connected by grace. So Romans chapter 11. I ask then, Paul says by the Holy Spirit, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to bow. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if, it is, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, though their trespass, through their trespass, rather, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch, then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will we spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too, will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay, there's a lot about olive trees there. We're not going to get into all of that. I'll explain a little bit. I am not a horticulturist, but I'll tell you what I've learned. 
But we're going to start here at the beginning and talk a little bit about something we all understand, and that's relationships. I mean, it's a story as old as time. A guy from the wrong side of the tracks falls for a girl, and they have everything to lose, and they bring it all together with a dance routine. Okay, that's actually not a story as old as time. That's the plot to Dirty Dancing. And you're wondering, why do I talk about that this morning? Well, actually, it's still going to work because stories like those, the silly movies, the things we read, whether it's Romeo and Juliet or something silly like Dirty Dancing, they remind us that there's far more that unites us as people than what divides us as people, what separates us. Perhaps you've heard this quote from John F. Kennedy. He gave this in 1961, his inaugural address, let both sides explore what problems unite us instead of belaboring the problems which divide us. That's kind of sound advice for our world today. How many of you say, think that's going on? See, I think if John F. Kennedy was alive today, he'd say, so get off Facebook. I just think he might say that. So think about what bumper stickers you put on your car. I cannot believe sometimes the things that I see, the fighting, the judgment, the aggressiveness. Sometimes someone will look at someone, and you've done this too, so have I, and they'll say, yep. You don't even know somebody, but you've already decided, right? That's what Paul's been battling here, this almost warfare between different kinds of people that are all a part of the church of, of Jesus Christ based on their, back, their backstory, what they've done, their lives, the mistakes they've made who they look like, where they're born, anything about them like that. And yet, time and time again, all the way back in Romans 3, we understand something, that we are broken by sin. That Christ's abiding love is what unites us together. It's what brings us to this table this day. We stand in Christ's righteousness. Otherwise, we're attempting to stand in our own. We have looked at this. We have looked at this, but what that means, the, the subplot of that is that none of us are spiritually neutral. We're either trying to stand in God's presence, a holy God, based on what we've done. And we think about this all the time. We do this all the time. Think about when you get upset. You may say something like, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. I don't know about you. I don't really think I'm a pretty good person sometimes. In fact, I think I'm kind of an awful person at times. I'll say something, and the people in my family will sit there and say, yeah, that was really terrible. You shouldn't have said that. But they're right. They're right. And so the reality is, if we're trying to stand in God's presence, he's going to say as a holy God, there's a severity to God's eye, and he's going to say, no, no, no. That's not going to work. But I'm going to make a way for you, and you're going to find that you're connected to me and to each other. You're connected by grace. You don't have to try to justify yourself anymore. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to make it the way that you tried to make it. You don't have to work so hard. Look at Romans 3, what it says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. None of us. You may say, look, I'm a branch. I'm doing really well. But what Paul's saying here is the roots are what nourish the branches. Hold on a minute and get this in the right order. You didn't seek God. He foreknew you. He called you. He drew you in. If you come to this table and say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. It's not because you suddenly had an aha moment. It's because God reached out and touched your heart. And we don't stand in our righteousness because when God touches our heart and illuminates our minds, we go, uh-oh, this is not good. And what that changes for us 
is our perspective on life and on self, our need to justify ourselves, our need to prove ourselves. What Paul is trying to get that church in Rome and us in the church today to understand is our need to justify ourselves will take the focus away from Christ and it'll place the focus back on us. Romans 11 here, we're looking at this idea of rejection and election. If you're rejecting God, it's because you're born an enemy to God. But if you become a friend to God, just as Kevin and Lisa, they had the song this morning, it was beautiful, the song they did during the offertory, that if you're a friend to God, it's not because you decided to befriend God, it's because God came by his grace and grabbed on to you. It's so important that we understand this, this concept that Paul is describing. Paul is taking the church back this morning to the Old Testament. He's taking the church back to actually what happened with Elijah. What happened with Elijah, he's going all the way back here to the Old Testament, to 1 Kings, believe it or not. So if you look at Romans 11, 1 through 4, we're going back to Elijah's time. And he's answering the question, has God rejected his people? This is a question God's people have asked throughout time. In the Old Testament, God's prophets were asking this question. You see, Elijah finds himself here. He finds himself on the run. He does. 1 Kings chapter 19. He's running away, and first an angel finds him and gives him some food, and all these great things are coming on, and God is providing for him, but yet Elijah's looking all around him at all the turmoil in the world that he lived in, and there was a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of turmoil. There was an evil queen, Jezebel, and she worshipped this idol, Baal. You know what an idol is, right? Anything you put in your life between you and God. Well, they had actual idols. And they were worshiping these idols, and they were putting the prophets of God to death. And Elijah's looking around, and he says, that's it, I'm toast. Paul's drawing them back to this very dire time in their own history where the people had turned against God, and those who stood for God felt like they had nobody around them who understood. As a Christian today, have you ever felt like that? Have you looked at the world around you and really felt like, man, everything is crazy? Football fans, have you watched what happened with Antonio Brown this week and felt like every, I'm just kidding, I'm sorry, but I mean, think about, have you ever looked at things and just felt like everything in your world, everything in your community, your, your country, your world, your life, your relationships, it's all upside down? That's how Elijah felt. And so he runs off and he ends up out in the wilderness in this cave. And he ends up in this cave and God comes to him and says, no, no, hold on. I'm the sovereign God. I'm the God. See, Paul's been hammering this point home because we need to get this. He says, I'm the God that has this all figured out, Elijah. Hold on. In fact, don't worry about Jezebel. I've got Jehu. He's actually going to run her over with his chariot. That happens later. It's kind of an awesome story. If you have a junior high boy in your home, find that story and read it to him. They'll think the Bible is awesome. It's pretty gory. It's, 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 um, it's not exactly a, a G-rated part of the Bible, but but God here, he foreknew. Remember what Paul says. He already, he's got it all. When, he's, when we used to sing when we were kids, he had the whole world in his hands. Paul's saying, that's true. He means that. He does. He says, hold on to it. Hold on to this. He says, don't worry, Elijah. I've been providing for you. I'm going to still provide for you. This is all going to work out. I have people in place. And what Paul brings into his passage in Romans 11, the Holy Spirit has him bring in this passage, 1 Kings 19, 18. Don't worry, I will leave 7,000 in Israel 
all the knees that have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him, that was part of their worship. They had statues and they would kiss them. Think about that for a minute. When you and I feel that there is no hope, that we're beyond help, maybe it's our own sin, maybe it's something we just keep doing over and over again. Maybe it's what's happening in the world around you. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you're looking around. Maybe you turn on the news and you're just depressed. Whatever that is, God says, you don't see the whole picture. I do. And God says here to Elijah, I want you to know, I want you to know, there are 7,000 who have not even bowed the knee. There are 7,000. There is a faithful remnant. Hold on to that word, remnant. What's a remnant? It's a leftover. It's something that remains. Everything else may go one way. It's not a piece of carpet you buy cheaper. That's not what we're talking about here. A remnant is when everyone else goes off a different direction, the people that stay anchored are the remnants. Those who remain as they ought to in what God desires. And God wants us to always remember there is a remnant. When churches lose their way, and they have, and they will continue to do so, God will always raise up a remnant. He will always do that because God is in the redemption business. Romans 11, 5 and 6. At the present time, Paul says, even now, Rome, church in Rome, hey, understand, look at Rome around you. We talked about that place. Hollywood Babylon, man. Everything was going on there. And he says, no, no. There is a remnant chosen by grace. If it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of the works. Remember Paul, Pharisee, the Pharisees, he says, these aren't the rule keepers. These are the people that God has their heart, and they're looking around going, I'm a mess. God, help me. That's his faithful remnant. It's on the basis of grace, because if it was on works, grace would no longer be grace. It wouldn't be the way it is. That's what Paul wants us to understand, that everything is a mess, but God says, no, no, no. I see the whole picture. I have a faithful remnant. And just so you know, that remnant is bigger than what you and I can see. There's 7,000 you don't see. Christians, when we teach the church from the Westminster Confession of Faith, Reformed people understand this. This fits with what we know. The church is all people in all places and times, visible and invisible, who belong by the grace of God to the heart of God. Christians in China in hiding that don't belong to a church by any piece of paper are part of that faithful remnant, though they are being persecuted. The church in America that stands fast when people turn an eye to them. Every time I hear someone that was running for office talk about Christians and what's wrong, or they quote the Bible either way, let me get you, make sure we're straight on this. Neither side is quoting the Bible accurately. Guys, the stuff they say is crazy sometimes, and I sit there and I, I have to turn my TV off and take a walk. 
God's faithful remnant belong to him regardless of the circumstances. And what Paul is saying here, what he wants us to understand is that God is always speaking. He's always whispering to those that he causes his remnant. And if you read this passage from 1 Kings 19, it's an old promise that the, the Israelites remembered with Messiah. It's not through the fire or through the wind and the storm. It's not through, think of the hurricane that just happened. It's not through all that destruction, the rocks being smashed. But when God comes and he speaks to his people, it's through, you probably learned this in the old language, that still, small voice. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. That voice that in the quiet, when you don't hear it, but you know it in your heart, if you had that happen, when just for some, all of a sudden it's like, no, don't do that. That's not Jiminy Cricket. Sometimes it's the voice of a loving person, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a parent, a grandparent, someone who is anchored in the faith as well. And you remember them, they taught you something, or a piece of scripture comes to mind, and you say, whoa, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And here, here Paul is talking, again, he's quoting first from Moses in Deuteronomy, and then he's quoting from David in the Psalms. Deuteronomy 29, he's quoting from, and actually King David in, in several of the Messianic Psalms, Psalm 68 in particular, he's quoting here. And he's saying, look, if you know God, it's because the Holy Spirit is opening up your heart. It's not because you're sharper. It's not because you're a better church attender. It's not because you've bought everything Ligonier Ministries puts on DVD or whatever. It's that, that's all good. It's not because you listen to Christian radio better. That's a result of you belonging to the Holy Spirit. You dig into God's word, you know more, and that's great. But you know God because God knew you. You are rooted in. You are branches coming off that tree of God's covenant out of Israel. Israel may have turned from God and you and I as Gentiles may belong to him, but it's still we're all connected by God's grace. And if you don't know God, if he's hard in your heart, if he's not let you know, that's because it's spiritual blindness. Therefore, all transformation, all coming to Jesus, all I have decided to follow Jesus as Jesus decided you were going to belong to him doesn't change the process as we experience it, but we need to understand that when you belong to God, it's because he grabs onto your heart. From Deuteronomy, they're quoting here, and it looks Israel failed. They didn't understand. Yet we as God's people, we get it because he grabbed onto our hearts, and theirs are hardened. They have a spirit of stupor. Their ears are closed, and their eyes, they don't see it. They don't hear it, even to today. And Paul says, I want him to know it. These are my friends. These are my neighbors. Maybe you feel like that with people in your family. Do you have family and friends that don't know Jesus and you want them to? And you'll say something. I feel like this all the time. I'll give this incredible explanation to biblical people will say, that was awesome. And other people just go, I don't get it. And I'll be sitting like in the morning and, you know, I haven't had breakfast and someone will text me or ask me or call me and ask me a question. And I'll just say, I don't know. It's kind of like this. And they'll say, that makes sense to me. I want to know Jesus. And I'm like, I don't even know what I did. Makes me understand it's not about me, which is good. It's a spiritual discernment. It's a spiritual discernment. When there's a lack of hunger, it's spiritual. And when there's an understanding, it's because God opens up their lives. And God, you know, when his people are against him, he has that severity. He says, no, you're a stumbling block and you're going to 
Your sins are going to hurt you. Your eyes are darkened. You're not going to get it. You're going to be enslaved. Your back will be bent in your sin. God says, that's just where you are. He says, that's not where I want you to be, though. I am here because I'm in the redeeming business. So if you're in the midst of this struggle where you're trying to be a part of what God's doing, when you're trying to understand, God is saying to you, look, it's always been the same. God's grace, God's covenant is described here as like an olive tree. That's a symbol of prosperity, of provision. That goes all the way back to that old covenant from the book of Genesis with Abraham. This idea that the roots feed the rest of the tree. It goes all the way back to that. And Paul says, look, that covenant was for Israel and they may have lost it. And it may have come to you, but you know what? We're praying it comes back to them. In fact, God's going to keep his promises. So if God promised, it doesn't mean everybody in Israel is going to become a Christian. But it does mean that God's going to deliver people of Israel. He's going to call a faithful remnant from those people. Those are God's people. I don't care what your politics are here today, guys. I, don't, I just want you to know that they're God's people. He's not going to leave them and abandon them because he promised all the way back in Genesis that they were his people. But he has grafted us into that covenant promise, that spiritual redemption. We are part of that faithful remnant. But he has not just called us. He's called people in Africa, in Asia, in Europe. We're all branches that have been taken and put into this new tree. We are all people that are called. And even they're going to look and say, hey, wait a minute. How come they get to be a part of God's promise? And God says, look. If they get jealous because you guys know them and they don't, maybe I'm just going to use that to call them back to me. God will use the weirdest things to call people to know him. And God can do that in your life too with your neighbors and your friends. Say you go through a really horrific time. Now, I'm not praying that for any of you, but when that happens and some of you are doing this and God is standing with you and you walk in faith, your neighbors are going to come to you and say, how in the world are you standing strong through losing your job? through if you've had a struggle in your marriage. I don't want to tell you guys this, but the truth is, Manny and I have had more ministry because we have talked to people and like, yeah, our marriage wasn't always great. We figured it out. Flash, newsflash, shocker, your pastor's not perfect and neither is his wife. She's pretty perfect though. She really is. <laughs> I don't know where she is over there. She is. But you know Why? People have come to have stronger marriages and ministry because God has worked through our lives. And we've had that honesty and we've been like, hey, you know what? God saved this part of our lives. He's the savior of the nations. He's the savior of your lives. And he wants to save all people. He's in the redemption business. And so what we need to understand today as we're connected by grace is that we are all called by God's Holy Spirit, that still small voice is calling to us, and we are to listen and to respond when God's calling us, and we're to be real about that. Hey, there's nothing special about me. People would come and say, oh, pastor, you're so amazing, and I'm like, if only you knew how unamazing I am. And you know what? There'll be a pastor after me someday who is also amazing in some ways and flawed in others, and they'll be great. He or she will do amazing things as well because of one thing, just like you, if they listen and respond as part of that faithful remnant and obey God's voice. 
That's what transforms lives, relationships, and churches. It's not the branches. If God takes us and he puts us like a branch in to reinvigorate a tree, see, this is the horticulture part that you don't understand. This listening and responding part, this is the part maybe you don't understand. What God's saying is, hey, if you're connected into this tree, God's going to use you to call other people. If you feel like you're the most broken person in the world, see, God says that covenant was from the beginning, and the roots feed the rest of the tree. And one of the things in horticulture they do is they'll take a wild branch from an olive tree, and they'll put it into an old olive tree that's not really producing fruit. You guys know olives are actually fruit, right? Did you know that? I did not know that until I was studying this passage this week. That's how uncool I am. I didn't know that. As soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, yeah, they got seeds and pits. Like, it, make, it makes sense, like, scientifically, now that I think about it. I'd forgotten that. But one of the things horticulturists will do, they'll take a wild branch that's growing in the wild, and it's kind of out there, whatever God has it doing, it's doing. And if the tree, if the other tree is not bearing fruit, they will graft that artificially, that wild branch, back in, and it can reinvigorate the tree. Paul's saying to the Jews that are on their high horse that have become Christians, to those wild and crazy Gentiles he's grafted in, he says, hey, I've called them, they belong to me, and that spiritually is going to reinvigorate the tree. Even if it's making you jealous and you're going, how come they get to have fun? Christians, learn from this. God can use us to transform the lives of those around us. He can use us. When we get stuck in our ways at the church, he'll sometimes graft something a little crazy in to get us out of our comfort zone. He will use something in our lives when we're real about it to get somebody else to get real and they'll say, wow, I never knew that. God is in the reinvigorating, redeeming business. And how we are about that is quite simply, we listen and we respond to God's voice. We go where he calls us to go. Now for us today, as we prepare to remain in Christ, to be rooted in Christ, as we come to the table this day. We remember another passage from Scripture where in John, Christ says, I'm the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. He's the one that does the grafting. And as this passage in Romans says, he also does the removing. But look what it says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Not because of what they did, because of the gospel. Do you see that? Abide in me and die in you. Listen, stay rooted, stay grafted in. And he says, I in you as the branches can there, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, in the roots. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from me you can do nothing. Friends, as we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are to remember that, that our call is to listen to that still, small voice of the Spirit, to abide in Him, to belong to Him. And we understand we are saved by grace. We are not saved by what we understand, by what we've known. God, you know, it's a spiritual blindness. People are hardened to that. But when God 
grafts us into that covenant of grace, that covenant that begins in the book of Genesis and that will end when time itself is no more, that he will call all people from all nations to belong to him, your friends, your neighbors, and our job is to remain in him, to abide in him, to be real, to share, to love, to minister, and he will work through that even through our insecurities, our failures. He will work through all things to accomplish his good, perfect, and pleasing will as we're going to see in the book of Romans. As we come to his table this day, I invite you to abide in him. But as we do that, we come to him realizing we need him to feed us because we're sinners. We're broken. As we come to this table this day, we want to confess our sin before him. Would you join me with the prayer that's on the screen this morning? Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all, we confess our sins, which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against you. We turn from them in this moment, and we turn back to you. We seek your forgiveness and grace. Just thinking about our sin grieves our heart. Lord, we know it breaks your heart. Have mercy upon us, Heavenly Father. Forgive us and heal our lives. Transform us and use us for your glory. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Friends, as we come this morning, this is not the table of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church or just a still Presbyterian Church. It's a table of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's available to all those who confess and claim him alone as their Lord and Savior. And on the night that our Savior was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. In the same way that night, he took and he poured and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Take and drink of it, all of you. And friends, as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we celebrate Christ Jesus till he comes again. As those who are serving come forward, I'm going to pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would indeed set these elements apart according to what you desire. Father, for your holy purposes, we pray that your grace would flow through our lives by your Holy Spirit, that we would be called, that we would heed, that we would obey. God, that we would know that we would belong to you, that we would be rooted in you, that we would bear much fruit as we bow our hearts and our lives before you, we pray in Jesus' name.
Friends, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. Friends, the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you fill us. God, the way you use us, that your spirit dwells within us, that you roll and reign over our hearts and lives, that you would guide us 
by that still small voice that we would belong more fully to you, that you would keep us rooted in you, that we would bear much fruit, that we would be able through both the, the blessings in our lives and even the struggles and difficulties that you would use all those to glorify yourself and to call others to know you that they would be grafted in. God, that uh, we know that you are the Savior of all the nations, that you would redeem God, that you would work in our lives as that faithful remnant, that we would stand fast and serve you, God, that we would belong to you, that we would listen, obey, and share in all we do what it means to be connected by the grace of God to our Lord Jesus Christ. God, use this this week, we pray, even as we come to sing in this moment, that we would belong to you as your covenant people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.